0: Have I told you lately that I've been to Israel? I have, and I'm actually, we're going in the fall. Have I told you I have a granddaughter? What's her name? Yeah, sweet little Jolene. Well, I got a new one for you. No, Janelle and I are having a baby. Just kidding. a miracle. Just... Yeah. No, I got a new one. Seriously. I got a hole-in-one Monday playing golf. We were at Stony Creek, which is a little small executive course by where we live. Hole number two. um, You you go downhill over water about 120 yards. That hole's been my nemesis. Like, I stink at that hole. But somehow I overcame through the power of the Lord, and he anointed my club, and I brought my swing back nice and easy, hit it really high, it hit the front of the green, bloop, right in the hole. And I turned around to Janelle, and I said, that just went in the hole. She said, it did. And there was these two, two young guys right behind us that witnessed it as well. The guy goes, dude, that was awesome. Can I give you a hug? So we hugged it out, bro hug, and it was pretty fun. Uh, we're in a a series called God So Loved, where we've been trekking through the Gospel of John as our guide to see the life and ministry of Jesus, culminating ultimately in his death on the cross, and then his resurrection, and then his commission to the disciples in the church to bring this message of good news of what he's done and defeating our our enemies of sin death and the evil one and that's what we're about and so um i went through john 13 and 14 a few weeks ago and we talked about uh, imitating jesus and how he lived and loved and forgave and and so forth then last week we looked at john 15 and we looked at how he he told the disciples to abide in him, stay connected to him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Today, we're going to look at John 16. And this these chapters of John 13 through 17 is called the Upper Room Discourse, where John takes a lot of, lot of writing, more than the other gospels, to talk about what happened in the Upper Room, what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And we get some great insight. And so, I've titled this message "When You're About to Go Through Hell," because in life you're either in the middle of a problem, a difficulty, a trial, or one's on the way. How many know that's true? It's just that is this is not heaven, and it's in, and it's not till we get to eternity where we where we will not experience sin and sorrow and difficulties. So we're in the middle of it, but Jesus gives. Amazing words to his disciples about, you know, you're about to go through something very difficult in seeing me die. And your dreams are going to be dashed. But Jesus had told them over and over and over and over and over, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. And they didn't get it. And I don't, I don't understand. We look back and think, guys, What? why did you not get it? But they didn't. But Jesus was the one that was about to go through hell You know, literally like through all the scourging and the the cross and the humiliation and all the difficulties he was about to go through. He was encouraging them. I love that about Jesus. He was about to take, you know, take our place. And yet he's encouraging the disciples. So how did he walk his disciples through severe difficulties? And what what did he say to them? And this morning, you might be in the middle of a trial. I know many of us are. You're in the middle of difficulty. I pray that his words would encourage you deeply this morning. And if you're not in the middle of a trial or a difficulty, this is preemptive medicine for when you do go through one because that's, it's on its way. <clears throat> so what does he say to his disciples? I've I got really four simple uh, headings that I believe Jesus says to his disciples. And the first one is He says, Hang in there. Hang in there. To hang in there is to persevere, to stay the course, no matter what the circumstances have brought. I remember years ago being in a pastor's breakfast, and uh, we were up in smaller groups in different rooms, and this old seasoned veteran pastor opened the door and he said, hey guys, here's my prayer for you, hang in there. It was a hang in there prayer and I've never forgot that because sometimes hang in there is really all we got, right? Here's what Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Kristen is going to take a little bit of this point with us this morning.
1: Hang in there. In there, Jesus knew what the disciples were about to face, not only in the aftermath of his death when they were devastated and confused, as Scott was just saying, and afraid, but even after his resurrection and his ascension, the disciples and the early Jesus followers faced intense persecution, beginning in Jerusalem with Stephen being martyred, and then really spreading out as the gospel spread out to the known world persecution followed the disciples were going to go through the storm it was going to get rough and jesus is telling them hang in there and for us today at least here in america we're not facing persecution the way that the early jesus followers did but going through the storms of life it's just part of the human experience like scott just said you're either in it or you're going to be in it the storms are coming i think there's two different kinds of storms that we find ourselves in First of all, is like the personal storm. When we have the wind and the waves crashing around us, when we are dealing with loss or tragedy or relational heartbreak or medical struggles, whatever it might be, we're in the, the storms and it feels overwhelming and it feels scary. And maybe it's the smaller storms, like just the everyday disappointments, the hurts, the discouragements, but we personally are experiencing the storm. I'm reminded of an account of Jesus and the disciples in Mark chapter 6. Jesus told the disciples, Hey guys, I'm going to meet up with you guys later. Go ahead and head on out. I'm going to stay back here and pray. And so the disciples do. They get in the boat and they go out on the water, and Jesus is on the land. And a storm comes up. And the storm has been raging for quite a while. It's the middle of the night. The disciples are tired, they're afraid. The wind is blowing around them. The waves are crashing. They're fighting against the waves, trying to keep their boat on course. And Jesus comes walking across the water. And they see Jesus, and they're all the more terrified because they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. And Jesus comforts his disciples with the words, take courage. It's me. Do not be afraid. Hang in there. Sometimes we're in the boat. Sometimes we're experiencing the storm raging around us, and the encouragement for us is hang in there, take courage, do not be afraid. Jesus is with us, even when it doesn't feel like it. As soon as Jesus got in the boat, the waves and the wind fell silent. There is no storm that you go through that hasn't first gone through the hands of Jesus. So hang in there, take courage, do not be afraid. The second kind of storm we might find ourselves in is when maybe it's not us personally going through it, but we're witnessing the storm around us in the lives of people we know and love in the world at large. How easy is it to look around and go, man, look at the brokenness, look at the injustice, look at the corruption. And we can get really discouraged and start asking like, Jesus, what's, what's going on here? Where, where are you? What's your purpose in this? But hang in there, hang in there. In Exodus chapter one, there's this really interesting narrative about two women, two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Puah, and the Hebrew people were in exile. They were in, I'm sorry, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were numerous, and Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, started to get a little bit concerned. Like these Hebrew people could rise up and rebel. So he goes to these two Hebrew midwives and he says, listen, when the, when the women give birth, when the Hebrew women give birth, if it's a boy, kill him. And if it's a girl, she can live. But the scripture tells us that the Hebrew midwives feared God and they did not do as Pharaoh had commanded them to do. They feared God more than the storm raging around them. And because they feared God, they took action. And they did not kill the baby boys. And their action made a way for Moses to come on the scene. Moses, who God would raise up to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, out from under oppression. And it was God's purposes being worked out through the faithful decision of the midwives to fear God more than they feared the storms around them, more than they feared Pharaoh. The Hebrew midwives could have thrown up their hands and said, We're one, we're women in a society that does not value women, where women are viewed as property more than people. And not only are they women, but they're slaves. They're not even citizens. They could have said, Pharaoh's too powerful. We don't have any control. But they didn't because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. How often do we do that? How often do we see the storm raging around us and think, I'm just too small. I don't have any control. I can't make a difference in this situation. And we feel hopeless, but hang in there, hang in there. Because in the same way that God was working out his purposes through the decision of those Hebrew midwives, God is working in the world through you and through me. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we can be confident that God's redemptive purposes are at work, whether or not we understand, whether or not we can see it, as we hang in there, as we fear God more than we fear the storm, as we take courage and believe that Jesus is with us, we take action, we love, we serve, we stand for truth, and through that, God is working in the world around us. So don't get discouraged. When you're in the storm, When the storm is raging around you, hang in there. We know how the story ends. We know who has the final victory. God promises that he's going to work all things, all things, the storms included, together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hang in there.
0: Kristen always gets applause when she teaches. (laughs) Thank you, Kristen. Hang in there. That's the first thing Jesus says when you're about to go through difficulty or you're in the middle of it. The second thing he says is this. Help is on the way. Help is on its way. When I was a freshman in college, um, played baseball at a school called Colorado Northwestern out on the western slope Rangeley is like an hour north of Grand Junction, and one weekend, we were, I remember the Broncos were playing the New York Giants in the Super Bowl. Who's old enough to remember that game? We got killed. Um, but on our way home, we were outside of Vail Pass, and uh, my, friend, my roommate, Mike, he had a 71 sh- uh, short wheelbase Bronco. And we had just talked about, like, getting in a wreck and stuff like that. And so we all buckled up. Like, we, none of us had our seatbelts on. And uh, I remember I was in the back seat and on the shotgun side. And I told Mike, I said, hey, will you put in that new Bon Jovi cassette? I just dated myself there. <laughs> put in that Bon Jovi cassette. So he pulls up his console and he reaches in. And he looks up, and the road, the high, we were on I-70, and the road turned, and he overcorrected. And he goes, hold on. And all of a sudden, boom, we hit the pavement, and, and the glass shattered to the, to the left of me. That's where my ha- I had a hat on, and it went onto the highway. And that's where I would have been if I didn't have my seatbelt on. And then, boom. Boom. We rolled seven times down the highway and ended up upside down in a ravine. And uh, I remember the, every roll, I, just, I had covered my head because the tire jack hit me on the back of the head. And I covered up and I was like, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And we ended up kind of upside down. Here, here's a picture of the vehicle of what it looked like that we were in. If we wouldn't have had a roll bar and seatbelts, I would not be standing here today. But by the grace of God, we did. And uh, I remember being, we were all kind of in shock. And we unbuckled upside down, you know, hit the, hit the roof and crawl out. And um, the people who were behind us came and they, they had saw the accident happen. And I remember hearing these encouraging words, helps on the way. We've already called the state troopers. Help's on the way. Sometimes you need to hear that. Help is on the way. Jesus says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he... The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus defeated the evil one in his life, death, and resurrection. He judged the ruler of this age. He's talking about the evil one. And he's given the Holy Spirit, who is God. Sometimes we get this uh, wrong idea. The Holy Spirit is not a a force or a power like electricity. The Holy Spirit is, is God, the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is the very presence of the Father and Son with us 24-7. He is our helper. He helps us overcome sin. He helps us overcome things that are, that are bad for us. He, he's our comforter when, when we're sad, when we're grieving, when we have sorrow. He's our teacher. He's our, our guide. So Jesus tells the disciples, listen, help, hang in there and help's on the way. The third thing Jesus tells his disciples is this, hold on to your questions for later. They will be answered. Ultimately, our questions that we have when we go through life, we go through difficulties, which trials and suffering bring questions, right? Suffering is one of the biggest stumbling blocks For people to believe in God, like if God's good, then why am I suffering? Or why did this loved one die early? Or what all those questions that come, they will be answered in time. And as Kristen already said, God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So he doesn't cause cancer. He doesn't cause evil. He doesn't cause, but he has the power in his sovereignty to work, work those things for good. All of us have been through difficulties in, in life, and after enough time goes by, you can look back at those trials and say, God, you did work that for good. God, you did, uh, you were with me even when I, I, I couldn't see you or, or, or feel you. He says this, a little while, and you'll no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me and because I go to the father so they were saying what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he's talking about Jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me and again and, and again a little while you will see me Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. He's telling them, I'm going to die. You're going to see me die and I'm going to go into a tomb, but then your your grief will turn to joy when I rise again. They didn't get it. This was just parting their hair, like just going over their head for some reason. And yet we know how, Ultimately, what changed the disciples was being eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Here's a good question. If Jesus defeated sin, death, and the evil one, our three enemies, why are things still so crazy? Why is there still sin, death, and it seems like the evil one is still having a heyday? That's a a fair question, right? Why is that? Well, I was uh, I was talking last week with Brian Sump about this very thing. Like the world seems so crazy. If Jesus overcame all of this for us, then then why why does stuff still seem seem to happen? Anybody else wonder this question? Just me? Okay, no, two of us. Um, we taught it's a process. Jesus did defeat sin, death, and the evil one by his life, death, and resurrection. There's a process of experiencing that and then ultimately finding its fulfillment when he returns again. It will ultimately experience that. But Brian used the illustration like when you move. When you move from one apartment to another or you move from one house to another, there's a process. You got to pack up all your stuff. Then you got to take that stuff little by little in a moving truck and, get, and move into your new house. A few years ago, about five years ago, we moved from the house that Janelle and I and the kids lived in for 10 years. And we, when we were moving, I went back to the house to make sure we had gotten everything and it was ready for the new owner. And I got really sad. And I cried, literally, because there were so many memories good memories of our family being together in this house. But once we moved into our new or nicer house, uh, I didn't think, I don't think about that house ever anymore. I, I really, I mean, it took me about a day and I was over the old house. I think that's kind of a good illustration for us. Like we, we, we're making great memories in this life with our loved ones and our families, but in the life to come, It's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much... There won't be any sin or sorrow or sickness. We don't get to choose what we go through in life. But we do get to choose how we go through it. We do get to choose how we respond to the things that happen to us in life. When it comes to Jesus defeating, you know, our our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. at the end of World War II... When the Americans and the allies landed on Normandy, that was, that's called D-Day. It was the day the war was declared over. But for months after World War II, there were still many little battles going on where the enemy was still trying to, you know, kill people and, 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 and overtake what had happened. But then ultimately there became what we call V-Day and that was ultimate victory day when there was no more battles. The war had been won and there were no more battles. I believe we are, spiritually speaking, we're in between D-Day and V-Day. Jesus defeated our enemies. The ultimate realization of that is still yet to come. We purposefully this morning... Uh, creating some space in the message, I, I have another point to give, but we're going to go back into a couple songs of worship, and we created some space over here for for prayer. And if this morning, as we go back into worship, you want someone to agree with you in prayer. You need someone to pray about a situation, anything. You can bring that to God. And we've got a team of folks that are, that are going to pray. So as we begin singing and go back into to the songs, you can make your way back there. And as you see fit, we're going to do two songs. If you're not going to receive prayer this morning, you can uh, just meditate on the words of these songs. The two songs we're doing is Peace Be Still. Which is totally in this chapter here in in John 16. And we're going to get to that on on our last point. But also, we're going to do a song called There's Another in the Fire. And if you're not familiar with the, the Bible, it's in the story of Daniel. And Daniel and his friends are thrown into a fiery furnace. And they don't get burnt, they actually, a miracle happens. And the, the, the king sees another in the fire that looks like the son of man. It's a pre-incarnate of, of Jesus. And meditate on the, rea- the reality that, you know what, you might be in the fire right now, so to speak. But there's another in the fire with you who's been there and done that and conquered death, conquered evil, and took our sin to the cross. And I thank him for that. So let's stand together. And sing. and as you feel, feel uh, prompted to, to receive prayer, go ahead and make your way to that little area over there. And before I share this last point, I was listening to a sermon uh, from a pastor in Portland, Oregon uh, last week that blew my mind and my heart. One of the best messages I've heard in a long time about Jesus being the bread of life. And the metaphor of bread throughout the Bible. But he said this. He said, Jesus didn't reveal a God that we can perfectly understand. But he did reveal a God we can perfectly trust. Bank on that today. The fourth thing I think Jesus says in John 16 to the disciples is he says, Hope in me and my promises. Hope is the confident expectation of God's faithfulness, that he will be true to what he's promised. Hope is not a wish like when you blow out a birthday candle and you wish for a new Tonka truck when you're a little boy or a football or whatever. Hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he promised to do. And every promise that God has made is yes and amen in Jesus, the Apostle Paul said. So here's what Jesus says In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. <clears throat> His disciples said, now you're speaking plainly and are not using figure of speech, Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and it has already come for you to be scattered. Each to his own home and to leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. Check this verse. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take courage i've overcome the world take courage i've overcome the world i love the the honesty of jesus he didn't say hey when you follow me life's going to be piece of cake easy peasy no In this world, you're going to have trials and struggles because we're not in heaven. The the renewal of all things has not happened yet. So this side of death, this side of eternity, we're going to go through troubles. He said that. But what did he say? He said, take courage, as Kristen emphasized at the beginning. Take courage. I've overcome the world. Everybody... Should have had a a little poker chip on your seat. Will you grab that? As I was praying through this, and I say this often, like, I don't have all the answers to life, and, and sometimes you scratch your head and go, What in the world's going on here? All I know is Jesus said, He's overcome. Take courage. I've overcome. When you play poker, you get to a certain hand or whatever. And you say, I'm all in. And you push all your your chips in. I'm all in. I'm banking on this hand. I'm I'm betting on this hand, so to speak. And I'm all in when it comes to Jesus. I'm banking my life. I've been given one life. And it's going to expire at some point in time. And I'm banking my life that he is the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes, though they die... They will live. I'm all in. I'm banking it all on his words that he's overcome and what he's done. So we're going to go back into a chorus. And as you feel led, I'm going to take my chip and physically demonstrate at the foot of the cross, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm banking on you. As you feel led, as we're singing, you come to the cross, put your chips in. We're banking on Jesus. I realize these are poker chips. And so does the Lord. But you know what this represents? A life that says I'm all in. I'm his. I'm banking on Jesus. And that's all he wants from us as his church, as his his family is to trust him and that's that's the first step of being all in is lord i don't get everything but i'm going to trust you and you agree with him that he is savior and lord we don't make him savior and lord he already is we agree with him so father as i hold these chips in this basket i'm pretty overwhelmed We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your life, death, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father, and for one another. God, each one of these chips represents a life that's a story, a story of ups and downs and pain and struggles and joy and peace. You've been with us all the way through and you will continue to walk with us. We thank you for that. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we don't have to ask for your presence, that you are always with us. Help us to recognize. Keep us strong and courageous in you to take courage, Lord, in you. That we truly will hold on to you. That you're making all things new. And you're going to set all things right in the age to come. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.